Today's reading is a very well-known reading, and it speaks of God's love for us, for a, a, a sacrifice that took place, and the meaning for it. Our reading will be John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. morning church it's good to see everyone here so to begin with i would like to ask a simple question what is the secret to long life that's the question isn't it everybody's asking that question is it food is it the is it what we eat is it fiber is it not a lot of fat is it protein is it the air we breathe is it exercise you know there is an island in Italy called Sardinia. Okay, On this island, there's a big percentage of the population who are centenarians. That is, people who are 100 years old or older. Okay, So, in fact, in Sardinia, the uh, per capita, they have more, they have 10, 10 times more centenarians in Sardinia than in North America combined. Okay, so I was watching this TED talk on this particular topic um, uh, the other day, and the speaker, an American psychologist named Susan Pinker, um, went to Sardinia to figure out what their secret was to their long life. Okay, so in that presentation, she presented 10 factors that contribute to long life. And I don't know about you, but the top two, I'm going to talk about the top two. I'm just going to share with you what the top two um factors are that contribute to long life. And I'm not sure if you guys will be surprised or will be, oh, I knew that, but I was surprised when I saw it. The top two factors that contribute to long life are this. Number one, close relationships. And number two is social integration. That is how you interact and engage with the people around you. They may not be part of your close relationships, but how you interact with them matters. Two things, which is amazing because the question, what is the secret to long life? It seems to suggest that the secret to long life is relationships. That leads us to this point where it's amazing how, I uh, remember when Jesus was asked that question in Matthew chapter 22, um, when, when, when somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Do you guys remember what he said? He said, Love God with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your heart. That's in Matthew chapter 22. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. God knew that we were hardwired for relationships. And so he told us to love. So this morning, what, what, I wanna, what we want to do is I want us to encourage each other to love like Jesus did. Our sermon series 
currently is called Following Jesus. And today our topic is love. So today we want to encourage ourselves by loving like Jesus did. And what we want to do because it's Easter is I want, to, I want us to look back into the gospel. To the love that God has for us. In so doing, when we realize and understand and refresh in our minds how much God has loved us and continue to love us, the love that pursues and does not turn back, then it will affect how we, we, we build our relationship with God. It will affect how we share and, 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 and demonstrate the love that God has for us with other people. And even the way that we preach the gospel to one another. Okay? And we're going to do that today. There it is. Using two chairs. Okay, we're gonna, hold on, let me see, there it is. We're gonna use that to, we're gonna do, we're gonna do that by using two chairs today. One that represents God, the G, and one that represents humans, H. Okay, and what we're gonna do is we are going to look at two versions of the gospel. Two ways in which we re- retell the gospel of Christ. The first way we are going to relate to, because this is how I, for myself, this is how I learned the gospel. This is how I preached the gospel for a long time. But what we're going to do with that first uh, version is that we're going to tweak it a little bit. And be, it's going to become our second version. And it's going to really come closer to what scripture tells us about the love of God. Okay? That's the deal. So let's start. Gospel version number one. Okay? In the beginning, Genesis chapter one, verse one. God made the heavens and the earth. God made the stars, the planets, the earth, everything that is on earth. Water, the land, the trees, the animals. And he also created his masterpiece. Us. Humans. And what he did was he uh, placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And because God is a God of love... You know what he wanted? He wanted a relationship with Adam and Eve. In the garden, they had a close face-to-face relationship with one another. That's what, that's what they had. They were tight. Okay? But God knew that love is a choice. We understand that love is a choice. Right? How do we know this? We know that love is a choice because I'll give you an example. Because we cannot force anyone to love us. Right? An example that I want to give you is when I first met Linda. When I first met Linda, I was smitten by her. And I got to know her. And within a few weeks, I knew that she was going to be the one that I was going to marry. But you know what? I, can't, I couldn't just go up to her and say, Hey, me and you are going to get married and you have no choice in the matter. You're going to marry me. I can't do that. Maybe that happens. In some instances, but that is not a loving relationship. That is not a relationship based out of love. The same way God did not want to make robots out of us. He gave us the freedom to choose. He gave us free will. And so with this freedom to choose, what did Adam and Eve do? We know in the Genesis account that they chose to defy God. They chose to sin. Right? That's what they did. They sinned against God. 
they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they defied God. What does God do about it? But we have verses to understand what, you know, that, that we use to understand what God did. Do you guys remember Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13? In that particular verse, Habakkuk was having this conversation with God. And in that verse, he tells God, you are a God. You, know, you, 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 your eyes are too pure to look on sin. You, uh, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. That's what Habakkuk told God. And we also have this verse in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2. We are all familiar with that. In that particular verse, God is talking to, through the, the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote, um, you know, to, to his, to his, uh, to his people, your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sin has hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So what does God do? He says, no, that's not going to happen. That's sin. I can't tolerate that. Right? But God is not just a God of Justice. He's not just a just God. He's also the God of love. Right? We know this. Because of our scripture reading as well. In John chapter 3 verse 16, because we understand he's a God of love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus to us. To intervene on our behalf. And I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. I believe it's in verses 6 to 8. Do you guys remember that? The Apostle Paul says, Jesus did not view, did not regard equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Do you guys remember that? Because we understand that God and Jesus, they're on the same plane. They're God. They have different roles. One is a son, one is a father, but they are both God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. They are one and the same. But Paul says, Jesus did not regard equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. What did he do instead? Instead, he lowered himself. To the appearance of a slave. And being found in appearance as a man, like us, what did he do? He humbled himself to obedience, to the point of death. Even death on the cross. We're familiar with this. So when we hear that story, that gospel, that good news, it changes our hearts. When we hear the good news that what Jesus Christ has done for us, it changes us, right? We turn back to God. And not only does that sacrifice that most of the world are thinking about today, being Easter Sunday, that sacrifice also has changed the heart of God. We sang that song before the sermon. Right? We sang, uh, in Christ alone, we sang, there's a line there that says, um, um, uh, what is that line? Uh, th- uh, 
the wrath of God was satisfied. I almost forgot from my head there. The wrath of God was satisfied. Because when we turned our backs on God in sin, we were objects of the wrath of God. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus, His wrath was satisfied. And so, the relationship was restored. That's gospel version number one. We're familiar with that. We've heard that. That's how I learned about the gospel. But what I want us to do now, because our objective is to really understand the profound love of God for us. Because that is going to move us to do the same for other people. What we're going to do is we're going to tweak this a little bit. Right? I'm not going outside of the bounds of Scripture. In fact, we are actually going closer to Scripture as we tweak this. We're going to understand the love that God has for us in the way that we retell the gospel of Jesus. Okay? Version number two. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. And with that, He created us, human beings. They lived in the Garden of Eden, where God... And humans had a one-on-one, face-to-face relationship. Okay? This was not a contract. This was a covenant. You guys know the difference between a contract and a covenant is? A contract is all about transaction. It's all about, well, I need this, but, I, but, he, needs, but he or she needs that, so we got to do this. It's based out of need. Okay? There's no, there's, it doesn't have to be love in there. Right? But this is a covenant. A covenant is not based on just a transaction. A covenant is based on identity. It's based on a relationship. It, it's based on love. Right? There's no more God. You know, it's not, it's not anymore me and, me, and, me and us and them. It's us now, together. This is what it was. This is that covenant that God wanted. It's just us together. As, 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 as a family, as, as, a, as, as, a, as, a, as a whole. This is what husbands and wives have. You know, they'll come together as one, right? This is the picture of the church in our relationship with God. And we see that in Ephesians. We are the bride of Christ. We are one in covenant in our relationship. This is what God had with Adam and Eve. But remember, we have free will. And long story short, they broke that covenant in the sense that they sinned. They sinned. But there are consequences to sin. We understand that. Right? They sinned, and when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, now there is, there is, uh, there is as we see, generation after generation, sin plaguing mankind. And we see that in scripture as well. You know, the young couples and families were going through the, the, uh, the whole Bible. We're reading the whole Bible in a year. We're only in Exodus now, but what's standing out to me the most is the fact that there's so much sin committed by the people of God themselves. Right? And all of the consequences that they had to go through because they chose to defy the living God. You know, from, um, uh, from, 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 from Adam and Eve all the way to their descendants. Jake, uh, you know, uh, Cain, how he murdered his brother, right? Uh, Abraham, how he 
how he did not really trust what God had in store for him and in his promises. So he took it upon himself to sleep with another woman so that they can have a son. Right? And then, uh, then, then we read of, um, of, of Jacob who did the same thing. He's like, you know what? I'm going to do this on my own. I'm going to deceive my brother. I'm going to deceive my father Isaac. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the birthright. The same thing with Jacob's children. Do you guys remember what they did out of jealousy to Joseph, their younger brother? Sold them to slavery. And we, we read about uh, the Israelite people. When God gave them the commandments, he said, you know what? It's good, but we like the idols better. I like the golden calf. What does God do with all of this? What does he do with all this? Here's what he does with all of this. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. This is the main tweak that I'm talking to you about. He doesn't do that. You know what he does instead? He does this. That's what he does. He pursues Adam and Eve. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. He asks, Adam, where are you? Where are you? You know, sometimes when people do bad things, you know, and, and they, they keep doing them, it's just annoying sometimes, right? I, I say that, you know, sometimes I'm, I, I feel like that with my kids. You know, sometimes I have this urge. You know what? You made that bed. We're going to go lie in it too. I mean, there's consequences to sin, right? But I have to be careful that I don't do it because I want to appease myself. I want, I want to, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to exact, you know, like retribution from my heart. God doesn't do that, right? I shouldn't do that either. What God did for them, you guys, you guys remember what, what the consequence of, of their sin was, Adam and Eve? One of them is they had to leave the garden, right? Because they couldn't stay there. Because they couldn't eat of the tree of, of, of the tree of, of, of life. Because God didn't want them to be in this position forever, right? For eternity. So they had to leave. But do you guys know what God did for them before they left? In Genesis 3 verse 21 you'll see. God sewed garments for them himself. So that they can put them on to hide their naked bodies. God did that. He pursued them. But what about Cain? What did God do when Cain killed his brother? Did he go, forget you, Cain? No. Here's what he did. He pursued him. He pursued Cain. Where's your brother, Cain? But you know, there's a consequence. He can't live in that community anymore. He had to leave. That's for, for our, for, for, for what we know and understand. That's the first murder. He had to leave his community. He had to roam the earth. But he said, well, if I did that, then I would be like the new guy in all these places. Nobody does that. Nobody travels like that. They stay with their own families. Why am I doing that? If I do that, then people are going to kill me because they think, who's this guy? You know what God did? I'm going to put a mark on you. And when I put a mark on you, you're not going to, no, nobody's going to want to kill you, but you have to go. But how about Abraham when he did that thing with Hagar? Right? 
What did he do? Did he go, you know what? I promised him something, but now it's, it's done. He, I'm done. Because he, he broke that covenant. I told him I was going to do it. He didn't have to do it himself, but he did. But God pursued Abraham. He renewed his promise to him. He says, you know what? My promise to you is not going to be done through Ishmael. That is not my plan. It's going to be done through another son that I'm going to give you later on when you're a hundred years old and your wife is 90 years old. But how about Jacob? When he did that with his, when he stole his brother's birthright, what did God do? You guessed it. He did the exact same thing. He pursued Jacob and what he did was he reminded him and renewed his covenant that he did initially with his grandfather, Abraham. Jacob had that same promise. It's the exact same thing that he did with the Israelites. On and on, prophets after prophet, that is what God has ever done. He has always pursued people. But the thing is, we always do this. We always do this to God. That's what we do. And then we think, and then bad stuff happens to us and we think, oh, God's punishing me. But God has always been there for us. Understand that the thing that we do has consequences. Right? But then what does God do? He pursues us. But you're probably thinking, wait, 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 Jay. How can you explain Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13? We just read that. In that verse, Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look at sin. You're, you, you, cannot, you cannot withstand or tolerate wrongdoing. But I think we say that because, it's because we don't really understand or find the, the, the actual context of the verse. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 does not end there. If you look in your Bibles, it continues. Right? Habakkuk was actually having a complaint session with God. If you have your Bibles or not, you're probably going, oh yeah, yeah, he, he was. He was having a complaint session with God. He's saying, well, your eyes are too pure to look on sin. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And then he asks this question. So why do you tolerate the treacherous? Why do you do it? If you cannot do it, why do you do it? And then he says, why do you keep silent when the evil ones swallow up those who are more righteous than they? Why do you keep silent? Why are you patient with these people? And then you're probably going to say, well, Isaiah 59 verse 2, right? Totally, it says that God turns his face away from us. But if you look at the context in Isaiah 59, he's looking around and he's saying he's grieved that his relationship with people are strained. It has been strained by sin. And that he couldn't give them what he wanted to give them as their father because they have chosen, we have chosen to do this. And remember, God is a God of love. And he doesn't force that to be on people. The fact today, most of the world are not in Christ. We see that. He's not going to force his love on people. He's going to tell people, 
that it's there. That without Him in our lives, there will be perdition and eternity. But it is our choice to do that. And in Isaiah 59, he's grieved that his people are doing this. And so, if you look even closer, look at Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, um, going into verse 16. Isaiah 59, 16. God, Isaiah is talking about God here. He, that's God, saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. No one to intervene for, for us humans. But look at what, what, what God did. Look at what God did. Isaiah 59 verse, uh, verse 16, the second part. So his own arm achieved salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. What does that mean? That his own arm achieved salvation for him. Well, look at verse 20. This is when we see Jesus come out in prophecy. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Verse 20 says, The Redeemer, with a capital R, The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Prophesied 700 years before Jesus even was born. What kind of love pursues like that? The love that comes only from God. Now, we understand Right? God did that. He gave us the Redeemer who died on the cross for our sins, who took on flesh, and He died on the cross for our sins. And we hear that message, and we come to the God who has never turned His back on us. He's always facing us. We are the ones who will turn away from Him every single time we contravene what he says we should do. He's always facing us. And we find that true when we look at God. Now, why is this so important for us to understand today? It is important for us to understand this today because how we view God is how we will be in our relationship with him. How we view the gospel is how we will teach it to others. Imagine... A gospel where there's a God who's just inching to just punish you. Do you know parents that are like that? Our God is not like that. His love enables him to withhold his wrath. He's not primarily the God of wrath. He's primarily the God of love. He pursues us. When we teach the gospel on people and we highlight the love that they have for, for, for people, then it's going to create a disciple that understands love. It's going to create a disciple who, who will not be, who will not be just, who will not be pharisaical in their beliefs, who will not be legalistic in their beliefs. But we understand that the word of God is the word of God, that we have to obey it. But we understand as well that God is more concerned 
for our salvation than he is for our punishment. What does the second part of our scripture reading tell us today? You know, John 3.16, we all understand John 3.16. My kids know that because they have memorized that verse. But what does John 3.17 say? Do you guys remember? Do you remember what, what Ray read today? God sent his son into the world not to condemn, but to save the world through him. When we preach the gospel to people, let us be quick to, 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 uh, to tell them about this salvation. Not condemnation, salvation. And when brothers and sisters around us are struggling within their faith, even when we see them actually blatantly sin right in front of our eyes, let us, let us be gracious first before we apply the truth to them. Because that is what God has always done. So this morning, I want us to think and ponder on the shocking, crazy love that God has for us. The kind that pursues. And as we do, we are going to be reminded that that kind of love is something that we want to demonstrate to people. That kind of love that pursues. That kind of love that's active or proactive, not reactive, not going, well, if you do that, then I'm going to do this. Always pursuing people. That is what he does for us. Okay? Um, um, but it's not done yet, right? It's not done yet. God has one last thing for us that we need to understand. He promises that he will always be with us. You know what happens when we are baptized into Christ? The Holy Spirit of God. I'm just going to do this. Lives in us. Are you ready for that today? If you do not have this yet today, today is the day. Don't wait. Don't wait. God has done everything for us through Christ. And um, we're going to sing the song of uh, uh, invitation this morning. The song is called, uh, Chad, can you remind me of the song? How Deep Your Father's Love for Us. Okay, we're going to sing this song, and in that song there's a line. I want us to think about this line. The line says, His Father turns His face away. Okay? His Father turns His face away. When we sing that song, maybe just for this time, or maybe forever, I don't know. I want us to remember this lesson that we just learned today by changing the songs a little bit, by tweaking it a little bit. Instead of singing, his father, his, 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 his father turns his face away, let's sing, his father turns his face our way. Can we do that today? Right? So that we remember that what happened to Jesus on the cross we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. And so the wrath of God definitely was satisfied. Let us sing.